It's good to be in God's house today. It's good to serve a, a God of miracles, a God who can turn grays in the gardens, right? Morning into dancing. We serve a powerful God. And uh, this morning, we're going to unpack a, another powerful passage uh, from the living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, it, able to equip us for every good work, Word of God. The passage is Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. You may want to turn there in your Bible app. And uh, the conversation is called, Jesus, are you the one? And just a heads up, we're going to be in, in this series, Powerful Passage, for several more weeks. Unpacking conversations like, these men are not drunk, set on fire by hell, who told you you were naked, a house divided against itself, can these bones live, and do you want to get well? And then in mid-December, we're going to begin a, a very long conversation, uh, one I wanted to do before COVID came in and just wrecked everything, um, on a gospel. Um, mid-December, we're going to begin a series on the book of Matthew that will take us a really long time. <laughs> I mean, we're going to go chapter and verse by verse. We're going to dig into this, this gospel and see Jesus and his kingdom and have Jesus become more alive to us. Okay, here's the first three verses of the passage we're unpacking today. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect somebody else? Heavenly Father, we... We humbly, we gratefully, we joyfully, we expectantly come into your presence. God, knowing that you know us better than we know ourselves, knowing that if we have open hearts and open minds and open ears, that you will speak to us personally and directly. Knowing that if we become, if we come hungry, you will feed us. God, remove all distractions. The enemy would want to throw in our minds so that we can hear your word. Father, I pray that you enable me to share your word in the way that you want it to be shared. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, question, have you ever been disappointed, confused, discouraged, disillusioned? Like, have you ever pulled out the calculator of your life and started punching in numbers and nothing comes close to adding up? Do you ever have doubts? about your choices, about your decisions, about your life? Do you ever have doubts and questions about God? Like, why does God move so powerfully and wonderfully in other people's lives, but in other lives, maybe like yours, he seems to be detached and indifferent, not there? Have you ever had thoughts like these? Lord, I don't get it. Lord, I don't understand. This is not what I expected. Lord, why does it always have to end up like this? Lord, if you are my helper, then where is that help? Lord, do you see? Lord, do you care? Jesus, are you the one? And listen, if you answered yes to any of those questions, you're not alone. There's a room full of us. When John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect somebody else? And here's what I want to do. 
And, and today, by the way, is October the 3rd. It's the first Sunday of the fourth quarter of the year 2021. And if you weren't here when I made my incredible, amazing announcement that had you all on the edge of your seats, right, underneath these chairs, you will find a, a piece of paper that are some commitments you'll make between you and God. Nothing on there is not something that God has already asked you to do. And read over that yourself and make those commitments. Maybe share that with somebody, you know, a, a spouse, a friend, a family member. And I guarantee you that if you do those things, you're for, you have a fourth quarter like the Patriots had in Super Bowl 51. Can I get an amen from my Patriots fan? I got none out there. All right. <laughs> amen. Thank you. All right, but, but, but what I want to do, I, I want to share four things with you that we learn, that we see in this encounter that John the Baptist has with Jesus in regards to our faith, in regards to the doubts, in regards to these times when our faith is not so short, it's not so certain. And first of all, it reveals, this encounter reveals that everyone at times will have doubts. Everyone at times will have doubts. I don't know about you, but if I was asked to pick someone who would doubt that Jesus was the Messiah, like John the Baptist would be like way on the bottom of the list. After all, they were family, they were cousins, they, they grew up together. I mean, even when John was in the womb, he knew who Jesus was. Luke chapter 1, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. The what? The baby. Not fetal tissue, not the products of conception, not a woman's choice. The baby leaped in her womb. Uh, that word baby is the word brephos. It's the same word used when the shepherds went to find the baby lying in a manger. It's the same word used when moms and dads were bringing their babies for Jesus to touch them. It's the same word used in Acts chapter 7 when when Stephen was recounting Israel's history, and he said that the Pharaoh, he said this, he dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so they would die. My sermon's not on this, but I just pray that you will pray that people will choose life, right? Since 1973, 62 million babies have been killed in the womb. That's more than the population of Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, and Maryland all put together. It, it's sad and it's tragic. Please, please pray that people will choose life. Amen? And, and I'm not ashamed to say that. If God calls what's in the womb a baby, and he did, I'll stick with God. <laughs> and even with science, right? Enough of that. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth, and I say enough of that, not because it's important, because I have a lot more to talk about, and you guys don't want to say this long, all right? If you have any questions, feel free to contact me. It's Steve at thegrovesevil.org, right? When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the baby of yours as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. But now 30 years later, John is starting to have doubts about who Jesus is. 
Now, at the age of 30, John began his ministry in the Judean desert. And huge crowds, great multitudes came out to hear him. Hear this wild man who, who wore clothes made of camel skin and who ate locusts and wild honey. I think the wild honey was to help the locusts get down, right? And his message was that the kingdom of God was near and that they needed to, they needed to repent and get ready. And John was very bold. When the religious leaders came out to check on what was happening, John said to them, you brood of vipers, not a compliment, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, you wouldn't expect the camel skin wearing, locust eating, truth proclaiming, Pharisee slamming, coming of the Lord preparing guy to doubt who Jesus was, but he did. And remember, John was there when Jesus was baptized. As a matter of fact, when Jesus came walking, what did John say? There's the one. There's the one I talked about, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And John was there when the heavens ripped open and the Father thundered, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. For 30 years he boldly cried out, you are the one, and now he's not so sure. How come? What's going on? Well, see, a lot happened to John in the previous year or so. Like I said, John was bold and and one time in a sermon he gave on marriage and divorce, he talked about King Herod and said, that, hey, Herod, stealing your brother's wife and sleeping with her is wrong and it's sinful. Well, the next day, reporters from the Jerusalem Progress came out and wanted to clarify his comment, his statement about Herod. Is it true? And John was very unskilled in political spin, and he said, yeah, what I said is true. King Herod is a sinner and adulterer, and that's John, spelled J-O-H-N. The headline the next day said, Wild, unhinged preacher from the desert calls out King Herod. And so King Herod has John thrown into prison. It was a prison located in a mountainside 2,400 feet high on the, let's see, let me get the right side, on the northeastern shore of the Dead Sea. And so here's John. He always lived in the open wilderness open spaces, and now he's in, a, he's in a prison cell. Before John knew it, the days turned in, the hours turned into days, the days into weeks, the weeks into months, and the months turned into over a year. And he begins to wonder, hey, why hasn't my cousin, why hasn't Jesus done anything to help me? I've always been there for him, and if he's come to set the captives free, yo, Jesus, I'm a captive. Like, how can the kingdom actually be here if I'm in this prison cell. Where's Jesus? Does he know I need his help? Does he care? None of this makes sense unless Jesus is not the one and I need to look for someone else. Understand, brothers and sisters, when we go through a period in our life like this, you know those hard, difficult, and painful times when God seems to be nowhere to be found? you may begin to have doubts about God. I, I always love what uh, James Dobson wrote a book called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And on the cover of the book, he writes this. When we are young and our health is good, okay, I can't check any of those boxes, <laughs> and we've not yet encountered disease, disappointment, and sorrow, it's easy to believe that life will always be rather carefree and happy. But every person who lives long enough will eventually experience difficulties that are not easy to understand. At those times, the pieces simply will not fit, and God does not make sense. 
You ever been there? Have you ever tried to arrange the pieces of your life and nothing fits, nothing makes sense, and God seems to be somewhere else? I mean, you, you thought that following Jesus would, would fix your marriage, would fix your kids, would fix your finances. You thought following Jesus would heal your sickness or the sickness of a loved one. You thought following Jesus and serving him would only bring positive outcomes. You thought following Jesus would give you a lot more happy days. You thought following Jesus would mean that you would be part of a community, part of a family where no one would betray you, slander you, abandon you, and that everyone love, would love you, help you, and encourage you. And here's what I'm trying to say. In this encounter in John, that John has in Matthew 11.3, it reveals that even godly people will have doubts. Question, is that where you are this morning? Be honest. In a dark, damp prison cell, northeast of the Dead Sea, staring at what little light is coming through the window, wondering, Jesus, are you the one? I mean, Jesus, is this what following you is all about? Jesus, will things always be this way? Will, will things never turn around? As the hours turn into days and the days and the weeks and the weeks and the months and the months into a year, Jesus, where are you? Do you care? Do you see? Jesus, are you the one? So first, this account reveals that, that even godly, faithful people will have doubts. Second, when doubting, go to Jesus. Uh, question, where do you go for answers? Like, where do you seek comfort from your problems and your pain? Where do you turn when you're in your own, Matthew eleven three. 3? Where do you go when your faith is not so sure and certain anymore? Understand, John the Baptist did not sit and he did not sulk and he did not get into philosophical debates with other prisoners and said he went straight to Jesus. When John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples, he Googled, how to overcome, no, he sent his disciples to ask him, to ask who, to ask Jesus. Understand, when you're in a Matthew eleven three, 3, there's only one place you can go to have those answers, those questions answered to Jesus. Don't sit, don't sulk, don't get into philosophical debates with other prisoners who are no smarter than you are. Go to Jesus. Go to his word. Get it? Good. And now I, I want to read some words that a guy wrote 4,000 years ago. Does that ever blow you away about the Bible? Like, raise your hand if there's some other 4,000-year-old books you read on a regular basis. Okay. <laughs> Is that crazy? It, that's all I got to say about that. And, and this guy's like the patron saint of, patron saint of Matthew 11 threes. I mean, this guy, he loved God, he served God. And he did it very well. And in fact, he did it so well that God was often caught in heaven bragging about this guy. And then God allows his kids, his wealth, his health, God allows it all to go away. And here's the deal. In his confusion and pain, Job went to God. And yes, sometimes he was mad at God. Sometimes he questioned God. And by the way, God's okay with that. 
you know, don't come to God. If you're like ticked at God and you're mad at him, oh, God, I love you. Hey, God, you know what? I don't really love you right now. <laughs> I'm kind of mad at you. I don't get it. You can help out and you're not. It doesn't make sense. Is this how, I mean, God can handle that, all right? Don't go, oh, God, you're so wonderful. I love you. I pray. No, God, I don't really like praising you right now. I'll praise you later, right? But not now, okay? I'm speaking from personal experience. <laughs> Maybe even now. But God can handle it. And because he went to God, when doubts tried to shipwreck, shipwreck his faith, he was able to write this. Job, he just found out all, his 10 children are dead. Imagine getting that news. They're gone. Your sons, your daughters are gone. Job got to his feet, ripped his robe, shaved his head, then fell to the ground and worshipped. It's not a typo. Are you kidding me? He worshipped. Then he says this, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return to the womb of the earth. God gives, God takes. God's name be ever blessed. He's like, hey, God is God and I'm not God and God can do whatever he wants and I will worship him. And then later in the midst of his pain, he writes these words. He's suffering, his heart is broken. I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, not right now, right now it's hard, right now it's difficult. Right now it's painful. Right now it it doesn't make sense. Right now it doesn't add up that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And therefore my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns. Not to have everything in his life work out, how my heart yearns within me to see God. Amen? Only one place to go, right? To Jesus and his word. A third thing this account reveals that our doubts usually spring from wrong expectations. Understand wrong and unrealistic expectations of your spouse, of your kids, of your parents, of your job, of your church, of your ministry, of your pastor, Steve, of your church members. Unrealistic expectations of your God is a path to trouble, confusion, and disappointment. Amen? I mean, and sometimes, side note, like, especially if you're in families and marriages, sometimes we have expectations of our spouse they don't even know about. That they can never meet to begin with. Hey, quit clearing your throat. I can go get a throat lozenger. <laughs> and they don't even know that we have them. By the way, that, mm-hmm, that, was from me. that was from my wife, all right? <laughs> Lord, be with Laurie right now. <laughs> Don't do that to your spouse. I always tell that to couples, man, get married. Man, you know, you're going to... John asked Jesus, you're the one, and here's how Jesus responds to him. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. 
Now, at first glance, it sounds like Jesus is trying to, trying to inspire John. You know, like, like something like, hey, don't sweat it, cuz. I got everything under control. I'm doing what you would expect the Messiah to do. You have to admit, that's a pretty good resume, right? The blind seeing, the lame walking, leprosy being healed, deaf ears opening, dead being raised, good news preached to the poor. Like, how do you argue with that? I mean, you'd expect John to hear that and say, oh my goodness, I will never doubt Jesus again. But the problem is, John already knew all of that. Remember, it says, when John heard what Jesus was doing, He sent them, his guys, to go find out what's going on. So apparently, all this amazing, inspiring stuff that Jesus was doing wasn't building his faith. It was actually fueling his doubts. And and interesting thing is, Jesus almost expected that to happen. That's why he says this at the end. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. That word for fall away is the word scandalizo, where we get our English word scandal. It refers to the part of the trap that a bait is put on. And so why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say that the awesome and amazing things that he are doing is actually a trap that could cause some people to fall away? I mean, I can't imagine somebody walking up to me on Sunday and saying, Steve, if one more blind person gets their sight, one more lazy person starts walking. If one more poor person hears the good news, if one more marriage and family is put back together, I'm out of here. I mean, usually great ways of miracles don't usually result in someone cashing in their faith. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. You see what Jesus is saying? I love you, cousin. but you're not getting out of prison. I'm doing great stuff for other people, but that's not my plan for you. Blessed are those who do not fall away on, a, on account of me. Yeah, I'm doing amazing things for other people. And man, I so know how John's feeling right now. But I've chosen a different path for you. John, do not get caught up in the trap of wrong expectations. Don't fall away because I'm not doing in your life the things you want or the things you see me doing in the lives of other people. When our expectations hit reality in the middle of a Matthew 11:3, we need to go to Jesus. And whenever we do, Jesus will help to adjust our expectations. And he adjusts it in three ways. Number one, Jesus reminds us of how things are in this broken world. Jesus is walking with his guys through the garden. And he says, I've told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Right? He's overcome the world and secured our future. It doesn't mean you're always going to overcome the world, right? That's not what it's saying. We have peace because he overcame the world. We have peace because he secured our future by overcoming the world. Sometimes we read, I think, well, if Jesus overcame, I can overcome. No, you may not be able to. It may not be the plan. Philippians 1.29, 
For you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. 1 Peter 4, written to scattered exiles, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So you'll be overjoyed when this glory is revealed. In this world, we will have trouble. We've been given the privilege of what? Suffering. Doesn't always feel like a privilege, does it? Let's be honest. We should not be surprised about what? That we have suffering and difficulties in this world. Adjustment number two, Jesus reminds us that God has a different plan for each of us. And basically, some get the Peter plan and some get the John plan. So see, see, we think that, you know, a deal's been negotiated with God and we all get the same plan. Get rich, get well, get healthy, get happy, right? We all get the same plan. Well, in John chapter 21, we see the Peter plan and we see the John plan. And you can read the verse for yourself, verses, but basically Jesus, after his resurrection, before his ascension, he's talking to Peter, telling him, hey, you know what? You should get to go wherever you wanted to go. But guess what? The time is coming where they will stretch out your hands and you'll be crucified because of me. You're going to die, Peter. Peter knows, hey, well, there's John over there behind me. He goes, hey, Jesus, what about him? Is he going to die too? Like, if he's going to die too, I'm like, I'm okay, right? Is he going to suffer too? Is he going to have hard times too? Uh, and, and then Jesus says, hey, what is that to you? Whether he dies or whether I want him to live till I come again, what is that to you? Your job is to follow me, right? And see, God has a different plan for each of us. Some get the Peter plan. Some get the John plan. Right? Don't expect because God is doing this in someone else's life, he's going to do the same thing in yours. Your job is like, why, is it, why are you blessing them? Why did you fix their marriage? Why did you heal them? Why not me? He says, hey, what is that to you? What is that to you that I chose to bless them that way? Your job is to follow me and trust me. Your job is to follow. My job is to lead. Amen? And adjustment number three, Jesus reminds us of what we can expect when we follow him. When you go to Jesus, you, you know, here's what you can expect. And if this doesn't excite you, you have my permission to get up and leave. Not really. That would be cool if someone, that wouldn't be cool if someone did it. Lock the doors! Right? Okay, but here, this, like, a crazy thing. This is like so stinking crazy. I'm not making this stuff up. This is true. We can expect the peace beyond all understanding. We can expect his power to, make, to be made perfect in our weakness. We can expect contentment in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. We can expect the purpose behind every hardship, every pain. We can expect to be made mature and complete, not lacking in anything. We can expect a reason for living that goes far beyond our small and finite story. We can expect Christ to be with us always to the end of the age. We can expect the comfort and compassion of God when we hurt. We can expect forgiveness and restoration every time we slip and fall. We can expect that in all things, 
we will be more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. We can expect a high priest who sympathizes with our weakness. We can expect a hope that is living and inheritance that can never spoil or fade away. We can expect that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that one day will be revealed in us. We can expect that one day the trumpet will sound, the Lord will descend, and when he comes, he will wipe every tear from our eyes and lead us to a world without sorrow, death, disappointment, disease, crying, or pain. To a world where we'll see him face to face, to a world that every single minute will exceed our expectations. Here's a way to minimize the impact of Matthew 11, 3 is in your life. Steve, I've been preaching this all over myself. Believe me when I tell you. Here, here's this, here, this will help you. Write this down, okay? Write it on your arm. If you want to minimize the impact of your own Matthew 11, 3s, you need to lower your expectations about life here. And raise your expectations about life there. Amen? Lower them here and raise them there, and they will not affect you as much. Get it? Good. The final thing is we see in this encounter is that doubts do not negate who you are. Now, the enemy will try that, right? I thought you loved God. Didn't I see you in church raising your hands, and now you're doubting God? What kind of Christian are you, right? That's garbage. That's the enemy. Doubts do not negate who we are. I love what Jesus does right after John's disciples head back to John to give him the message from Jesus. Because I think Jesus knows that those listening, right, are thinking, well, they find John's in prison, and John's asking if Jesus is the one. How could he ever do that? Man, John has no faith. John must have failed. John must be lesser. John must be a loser. And so Jesus quickly blows those thoughts out of the water. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? I don't think so. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it's written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of woman, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. Now, why does Jesus wait for John's disciples to leave before he says this? Like, he doesn't say anything about John. He only says things about himself through those messengers. Like, he doesn't say, hey, be sure to tell John, John, you're doing a good job. John, you're knocking it out of the park. John, I'm so proud of your faithfulness. He doesn't do that. He waits till they leave, and then he begins to talk about John behind his back. And not the usual way people talk about someone behind their back. You see, usually when people talk behind someone's back, it's negative, critical, and judgmental. And the reason why people talk about you negatively behind your back, two reasons. Number one, they don't have the guts to talk to you face-to-face, they don't have the Christian maturity to talk to you face-to-face. Amen. Let's not be those kind of people. Amen? 
And if you're around people, being those kind of people, no, I, I was just cleaning my hands. I didn't, don't slap them. Spiritually slap them. If you can't say something nice, pull out your thumper quote. If you can't say something nice, who knows the rest? Wouldn't that fix a lot of conflict in our homes and in our lives? Okay. Well, John the Baptist, I mean, rather, Jesus doesn't roll that way, right? He kind of tells it like it is, right? I mean, if he has to say some hard truth, hey, you whitewashed tombs, he's okay with it. He's okay with words of affirmation, like the centurion who wanted to have his servant healed, right? He said, I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. So as I read this, I'm like, okay, then why didn't Jesus tell John's disciples, tell John that he is more than a prophet, Tell John that among those born of women, there's none greater than him. I mean, that would have been so encouraging, right? Sitting in prison, hear those things. Like, like, why does he wait before he says all that good stuff? Well, we don't know for sure, but I think it's because Jesus wanted John to put his faith and confidence in him. In who he was, the Messiah. And what Jesus was doing, bringing his kingdom. He didn't want John to put his faith in John. He didn't want John to put his faith in John's faithfulness. He didn't want John to put his faith in what he was doing or his circumstances. Tell John the lame walk, the blind see, the good news is preached to the poor. And then Jesus turns to the crowd and says, hey, now that they're gone, let me tell you something about John. He's my boy. Love it. You know, I'm I'm convinced there are times when when God turns to the angels and says, let me tell you about my child down there. We have much too limited view of what God sees in our lives. I mean, don't you think every once in a while God jumps up, gives an angel high five, and says, did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see the way that they forgave that offense? Did, did you see the way they responded to that need? Did you see the way they got up and kept going even though they were knocked down? Did you see that, Gabriel? Listen, God sees stuff in our life that we never see. Amen? Amen. And and what I want to do as we wrap up today, there's three things that I believe God wants to affirm in our lives today. I know he wants to affirm in mine. Three things that Jesus might be, be, be saying behind your back. And I really want these words to go deep into your heart this morning and mine. Write them down. Put them on your Facebook wall. Tweet them and tell all your dysfunctional friends about them. All right? Are you ready to receive from God this morning? Maple Grove, God's been, Jesus has been talking behind your back. You know what he says? You are doing better than you think you are. I have zero doubt whatsoever that God brought me here this morning to tell someone in this room that Jesus has been talking behind your back and what he's saying is you are doing better than you think you are. You see, John couldn't see all the miracles he had participated in by preparing the way for the Lord. In fact, in verse 10, Jesus says John is the one that got the whole thing going. 
You know, I, I just wonder if God might want to say to someone today who feels like a failure, who feels like they always come up short, that they never measure up, that they always have to lose 15 to 20 pounds, that they, that they never pray enough, they never read their Bible enough, that all their effort never brings the outcome they think it should. Maybe God this morning wants to take that burden off of your back and tell you you're doing better than you think you are. Understand, our God does not work through condemnation. That's the way the enemy does. I know some of you may be thinking, well, if we tell people they're doing better than they think they are, then they'll just slack off. No. Uh, God's, God's affirmation is not a license to slack off, but it is a charge to keep going, to keep doing, to keep moving forward because you're doing better than you think you are. And some of you are thinking right now, yeah, but I'm not where I want to be. Maybe not, but you're not where you were. Amen? You're doing better than you think you are. Find three people and look them in the eyes. And if you're comfortable, fist pump them. And if you know their name, say their name. And stand in God's stead and tell them they're doing better than they think they are. Go ahead. Amen. All by myself. <laughs> One is the loneliest number that could have. <laughs> I ain't right, and that's okay. Um, affirmation number two. You matter more than you think you do. Um, you think John thought he mattered in that prison? You thought John thought what he was doing mattered in that prison? Don't think so. See, who you are matters more than you think you do. You know how I know? Because of the price Jesus is willing to pay for you. Because God, how God feels about you. You know what Jesus said in John 17? That God loves you the same way he loves Jesus. You want to know how God feels about you? How does God feel about Jesus? Because in Jesus, that's exactly how it feels about you, right? And, and what you're doing matters more than you, you think it does. You have no idea the difference you're making. You know, if you think it doesn't matter, if you keep, if, if you're there for the, the kids because they don't seem to listen, if you stand up for Christ in the, in the world or at school because no one seems to know us anyway, it matters a lot more than you think it does because there's more going on than you think there is. Understand, you have no idea what that one smile, that one word of encouragement on that one day may have changed or saved somebody's life. You just don't know what you don't know. Listen, one of those times when you're at the end of yourself and you wonder, does anybody notice? Do I matter? Am I making a difference? Does anybody see? Does anyone know? God says, oh, you better believe I notice. You should hear what I'm saying behind your back. You, see, you should see the ways that I've been using you that you have no clue about. You should see the generations and lives impacted because of your obedience. And listen, one day Jesus will say to you, not behind your back, but face to face, well done, 
It mattered. You mattered. I see you. I appreciate you. It counted. You counted. I'm so glad you didn't quit. I was using you when you felt useless. I was working through you when you felt all used up. You were having an impact on lives when you thought nothing was happening around you. You matter more to God than you think you do. Anybody receive that today? I sure hope so. I want to close with this final affirmation and maybe it's the most important because it keeps us from twisting and perverting what God is saying to us today. It's less about you than you think it is. Hold on, wait a minute. I thought you just said I matter more than I think I do. And now you're telling me it's less about me than I think it is? Yeah. Which is it? Both. You see, you matter more than you think you do when you realize that it's not about you to begin with. And John the Baptist certainly got this right. In John chapter 3, verse 30, right? He says, you know, Christ must, what? Increase and I must decrease. It's less about you than you think it is. And listen, there's more freedom There's more burden unloading and that truth than any of us realize. It's less about you than you think it is. Go tell John that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the dead are raised. And also tell John, blessed are those who do not fall away on account of me. In other words, blessed are those who truly believe that it's not about them and therefore they do not fall away when life does not go as they had hoped or planned. Amen? Amen. You're doing better. Please hear God speaking through me. Because some of you are so hard on yourselves, you cut the whole world slack but yourself. You know, you're always down on yourself. And God wants to say to you this morning, you are doing better than you think you are. Amen? Amen. And, and sometimes the things in our life, maybe the people in our life, and maybe because we're not accomplished as much as him or her, we don't think that we matter. And God wants to say to you, you matter more to God than you think you do. And he also wants to say to each of us, And it's so freeing. If only we could live it, right? It's less about you than you think it is. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we love you. And we praise you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. And God, I pray your spirit will help us receive whatever truth you want to pour into our lives to give us new life, to renew our strength, to lift us up. In Jesus' name, amen.